I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Who do you garden for? Many of us grow for ourselves. We plant food to eat or design beautiful floral displays to enjoy throughout the seasons. But today on Gardening with the RHS, with me, Guy Barter, we're gardening for others. We're heading out with a kitchen gardener who grows for some of the UK's best footballers at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. You've got people who are running around, you know, burning calories and doing things that they actually need to be fed with nutritious stuff. So having a kitchen garden is a no-brainer. We'll be meeting a community leader who creates gardens for neighbours. The growing of food is a great opportunity for people to come together. Whether that's in the growing of the food or the coming together to cook and eat the food, it can be a great celebration of communities. And we're hearing how gardening is helping prisoners eat better. So I guess I see it as this kind of like useful and sustainable kitchen garden. I'm currently standing by the Tottenham Hotspur training ground near Enfield, north of London. And it's a lovely sunny November day, a light breeze and the horticulture I'm more qualified to talk about horticulture than football. The horticulture is immaculate. The grass is perfect. There's beautiful plantings of landscape plants, lots of hedges. The oak trees that were originally on the site when it's built have been retained and now sport a large number of bird boxes and bat boxes. But what does football have to do with gardening, I hear you ask? Well, I'm here to meet someone who grows the food that fuels the elite team of footballers. 
Kudo Chimbudzi is the head kitchen gardener for Spurs. Here at the training ground, the kitchen feeds over 58 people daily, so Kudo is kept very busy. After a very pleasant walk across the ground, we met Kuda at the kitchen garden and he started by giving me a tour of the plot. Oh, isn't it pretty, the asparagus, when it's got the sunlight on its yeah. reddish stems as it dies back. Yes. Yeah. So it gives her that autumnal colour as well. And you colour coordinated it with your multicoloured chard along the edge. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so these beds are pretty much done. We had beans and, 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 the, and the lettuce and the beetroot. Oh yes, there's a lovely yes. crop of beetroot in yes, there, isn't it? some yeah. thick ones, you know. We grow as much beetroot until we can't have enough beetroot, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, so that's interesting, everywhere. isn't it? Beetroot is the food of yes. champions, apparently. Yeah. They, they use this juice, uh, it's, called a, it's a shot. Oh yeah, they, the juice of beetroot. Yeah, it's yeah. a beetroot and rocket. Beetroot so, and rocket shot, there. Yeah. It's a pre-mentioned post-match shot they take. I just need to grow some rocket now. I've got loads of beans. Yeah, you'll be running up and down. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like that. I'd like that. <laughs> we headed inside his greenhouse to continue our conversation. Well, this is a very nice greenhouse, Kuda. Oh, thank uh, you. It must be um, very welcoming on a wet day. It is. It is quite welcoming, believe me. Yeah. Yes. It seems strange to have a kitchen garden in the football club. Why was it created? Some people would have said to me, ah, that was the, the only space where they couldn't put a pitch because of the size of the space. But you've got people who are running around, you know, burning calories and doing things that they actually need to be fed with nutritious stuff. So having a kitchen garden is a no-brainer. So that was the chairman's idea, uh, Daniel Levy. Isn't that amazing? And uh, how many beds have you got here? Uh, in total, there are 70. 70 so across beds. there, there are, we've got some raised ones with, uh, with oak beams. And what do you grow in the, in the raised beds? All sorts, from mint, we've got kale in there, we had pumpkins, courgettes, sweet potatoes, mm. pretty much everything down there. And then, when did you start gardening? Professionally, I started in 2010, but as a hobby, you know, it's something that I grew up uh, you know, doing back home in Africa. But when I came to England, you know, it was something that I could just do here and there. The, the interest just grew on and on and on until I, I enrolled for a course. I've been growing vegetables and edible in England from 2009. That's when uh, I acquired an allotment. And is there anything you grew in Zimbabwe that you still grow in England? Yes, we go grow pumpkin, we grow sweet corn. What you can grow in Zimbabwe is a lot in terms of variety. And because of the extreme differences of in Africa, the extreme of heat and drought, you, there are plants that, that, that can tolerate that things like papaya, but they can't take the frost, the bananas, you know, the tropical stuff. Those are the things I miss growing, you yes. know, but you can, you can work with what you can work with, you know. Well, you must have liked it because you've become a professional horticulturist. What prompted you to, to take it up as a full-time job? I started to realise I'm actually good at it. <laughs> and I, as much as I thought that, you know, coming from Zim, I thought, hmm, it might be the weather, you know, am I going to survive, you know? And I started to look, uh, going into libraries and joining clubs, horticulture clubs, gardening clubs in Leicester. And then the, the interest just continued, 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 you know, until my, one of my aunties said, I think you need to enroll. Your auntie Yeah, it was that. like that, yes. She, <laughs> she was like, you need to enroll. She's a wise woman, wasn't she? Yes, she yeah, is. Yeah. I've just noticed something rather clever. Yes. You've got sand on the floor of your greenhouse and you sowed little rows of salads. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So basically, 
I liaise with groundsmen. We talk a lot about sand, you know, how it, oh, how yes. it helps in the pitches. Yeah. And it's natural, it's clean, you know. So if I put it in here, yeah, it warms up. Those are the kind of properties that I like about sand. It warms up the soil and it actually increases the, and helps with the drainage as well. So my, my crises don't need nutrients. They've got the nutrients in the seed already. Yes. At this season, what are your next jobs you're going to do? I'm working on giving to cut down all the dead the asparagus. I need to cut them down. So I need to blow the, the leaves. You know, leaves are a problem because if you leave them in the bed, that will become a harbour for slugs. And next generations, I need to, to spray nematodes. And um, you're going to cut back the asparagus. Is this asparagus one of the favourite vegetables here? You've got an awful lot of it. You know, that is one thing I was told by the chef. Actually, the boys love, they were saying they love the char-grilled asparagus. I was like, oh, I was chapped, you know. <laughs> and uh, do you find you get the asparagus beetle? Yes. It's not really of a, of a problem, you know, because a lot of people make a mistake. So what the asparagus beetle does now, if you cut your asparagus straight to the ground, that is enough to just get the asparagus to jump into there and lay its eggs into the stem because the stem is going to die back. So that will become a good enough space for the beetle, for the little slugs to just sit there and then wait for spring to come up. And you'll be thinking, oh, how come every asparagus that comes up gets eaten? So what you do now, you cut 30 centimeters from the ground so that it dies back completely. And then there's nothing that is penetrating the stem. So when, when the plant now has been cut down, it starts to die back, die back, die back, and shuts the whole system into winter. And then when the, the whole stem, that said 30 centimeter stem, is totally dead and rotten, you can easily pull it out. That's a really good tip, which I shall certainly do in my own garden, because I've yes. always cut my asparagus to ground level. Yes. So I'm going to try your method now. Yes. So thank you very much. You're oh. welcome. Now, you say the players like a bit of grilled asparagus. Yes. Is there any other special orders you get from the teams? Yes, the sweet corn. And, and I'm finding out pumpkins as well. They're healthy. They're something that the boys love. You know, when you after running in the court, you know, wintertime, you, know, you need that soup. That keeps you warm, yeah. you know? I mean, noticed you say the boys. Do the women's team have different favourites among the vegetable line, or is it all the same? It's the same. Oh, you know, it's the I'm same. I think they used to train right in that pitch in front there. They used to like it, you know, even though they were shooting right in the apple trees and then <laughs> the apples fall <laughs> down. <laughs> so thank God everybody is kind of away from here now. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Summertime, I have Mediterranean, the basil. The smell just, is just basilic smell in front. They'll be like, what's that smell there? <laughs> and after they shoot the ball into the basil. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting way of improving footballers' horticultural knowledge, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And is there any things at the moment you're growing that have caught your imagination that you're excited about? I'm uh, excited and scared as well uh, at the same time with, uh, with sweet potatoes. I'm not surprised. Mine weren't very good this year. <laughs> yes, because one little mistake they go off, you know. I've seen looks, something that looks like a, I don't know if it's a mole. That is, yeah, that is dug a, a hole. So I need to harvest those before something starts to go and attack my sweet potatoes. So it's a big excitement then soon when you dig up the sweet potatoes yeah, and, and see what you've got. You <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. have to do it quietly when no one's around. Yes, I won't, I'm not, I won't tell anyone. I'll make it a secret. <laughs> a surprise. <laughs> Has working in this amazing garden with an extraordinary um, football club, has that affected your relationship with how you grow plants? It's improved. It's improved the way I look at productivity because I'm coming from a background of 
allotment. I grow what I want, when I want. <laughs> you know, uh, this is a job. You've got to, to grow what you're being required to grow. It's fun, you know, because as a person, you've got your own challenges that you want to set to say, okay, what stage am I at as a gardener? It's an athletic environment, you know, where people want to achieve goals. You know, so it rubs off. Yes, so that's very really interesting, isn't it? Yes. You don't get much more competitive than the professional football. <laughs> you know, that's rubbing off and you're becoming a competitive gardener. Yes. But with yourself, mostly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you for the tips about the asparagus and you're things. Welcome. So you're you're welcome. Anytime. <laughs>
£1.80 a day for three meals per prisoner. So as you can imagine, they've got to make a short amount of money go very far. So the food was very carb heavy. Lunch times would always be chips and pasta generally. And then you just go and lay in your cell until you get a knock two hours later. Breakfast would be given to you the night before. So you'd get a breakfast pack, which would be in a brown paper bag, which would be a bag of cereal, a little carton of UHT milk that you'd hang outside your window to keep it cold if it was winter, and a couple of tea bags and some sugar. So if you go to bed hungry, essentially you'll be eating your breakfast before you even get up in the morning. And then dinner would usually be sandwiches or maybe a hot meal. And then on a Saturday morning, you'd have what they call a full English breakfast. It was overcooked, very thin bacon with some rock-hard baked beans and a bit of toast. She was in prison for a few years. I think she put on about five stone during her time in prison. It made me feel unhappy about myself because I couldn't be active, I couldn't be motivated. I didn't get any joy from the food. Like for me, food is a shared experience, but you're literally picking up your food and you're um, eating it in a salad on your own. You're not even eating with people in a communal setting. And what was amazing about Sophie is that she came out of prison and she had a good diet before. I knew how to cook. I'd been a carer for my mum from a very young age, so I was a person who cooked the family meals. I've always cooked from scratch, um, nothing out of jars really. And she spent three years in prison and came out and just decided that she wanted to regain that diet and build herself back up, build her health back up. I clearly remember walking out of HMP Downview in Sutton, jumping on the bus, going to Morrison's. She bought a pack of chicken and a salad and she made up a salad, chicken salad on the train home and just ate that on the train home. I just wanted something green. I've been craving salad, been craving vegetables, and that was probably the best salad I've ever eaten. And now salad is one of my favourite meals. But that salad was just incredible. Even though it was just a, you know, a bag of ready-made salad mix and some pre-cooked chicken, it was just amazing. We've actually stayed in touch since. And Sophie, she's an amazing gardener. She has her own allotment. She has her own smoker, she smokes meat and grows her own vegetables, makes her own gin and yeah, she's kind of got this incredible um, you know, life that she's built for herself but prison had a real impact on her and it was she rehabilitated herself I suppose. Just being able to grow my own fruit and veg and you know, harvesting a courgette and eating it that evening or harvesting loads of courgettes because courgettes are prolific and sharing them with my friends. Yeah, it's just amazing. I love being outdoors. I love getting my fingers mucky. I've got no issue with being knee deep in horse muck, shoving it into bags to take to allotment, all that kind of stuff. I really enjoy now. So if there was a similar scheme as to what Lucy's running available in Downview and I was there, it would have had a massive difference on the prison system within that prison completely we had massive greenhouses we weren't allowed to use I clearly remember the we were taking tomato seeds out of our salad one of the sides we did get and we were going and tapping up the garden girls for some compost and we were growing tomato plants in our cells using the plastic bags that you get your canteen in you get your tuck shop in to make a mini greenhouse so we were already wanting at that point to be eating fresh fruit and veg and there were a few of us doing it and we got pepper seeds and we were trying to grow peppers so we could have used that knowledge and actually gone and learnt something properly and effectively. I think being outdoors as a prisoner is really important because you mainly get 15 minutes of fresh air a day and that's walking from your accommodation block. So being able to be outside, working the land, growing stuff, learning about the seasons, because of course you can't grow stuff whenever you want to, it's not like that in the real world, 
And being able to feed that back into the prison would have made a massive difference. It would have given people something to want to achieve, rather than just working with gardens where you're going around and trimming hedges and mowing the lawn and planting flowers. You'd be able to actually be doing something practical that you see the end result and you get to enjoy that end result. And that would have done a lot for a lot of women in terms of self-confidence, giving them knowledge experience, stuff that's transferable for when they get outside. You know, you learn the skill of being patient. Like stuff doesn't grow overnight. I think it would have really, really had a massive and profound impact on people there. I guess in a year's time, my vision with the greenhouse and the surrounding grounds is really to have built something or started to build something. You know, I'm not naive in the sense that this is a huge job and a big challenge, actually. But my vision with it is for it to be a really a working kitchen garden, something sustainable that the prison can maintain, you know, after we've gone. You know, I don't want this to be something that only works when we're there. It's about kind of equipping and empowering the staff and the prisoners who are working there with the skills to continue it after we've gone. And, you know, Swinfen Hall has so many amazing staff, particularly some of the ones who work on the farms and gardens, who they're excited, you know, they, they want to see it happen as well. And we are a charity that is based around food and getting better food into prisons, you know, whatever form that takes. And growing food is going to be the kind of primary goal of the greenhouse in particular and the surrounding grounds. I mean, so I guess I see it as this kind of like idyllic but also useful and sustainable kitchen garden you know in 10 years time if it's just normal to have greenhouses producing the food on a local level maybe then they can look at you know linking them with local farmers and it would probably pay for itself i think having that as a normal thing in prison is just going to make people interact with their food so much differently and have more appreciation for the value of it i think I guess if someone's listening to this and they might have a preconception of prison, something I've, I've been up against since day one, you know, the question of why do prisoners deserve better food or food opportunities, I suppose what I would say to them is, you know, prison actually has a real impact on society and on our lives as well, whether we know that or not. You know, these people will come out one day, they will be released. And if we can look after their health and well-being and equip them with some skills that might help them get a job and teach them how to look after themselves in terms of their diet, give them a better relationship with food, teach them how to cook. You know, it's a no-brainer, really. There's no kind of moral question about it. It's the right thing to do, and that's my belief. Thanks, Lucy and Sophie. If, like Lucy, you want to set up your own kitchen garden next year, there are a few things you could be thinking about now. Key is soil preparation, getting rid of the weeds, adding organic matter to the soil, getting it level or perhaps making raised beds if you've got a wet, sticky clay soil. The other important thing is to plan your garden. It's easy in a fit of enthusiasm to have far more than you can fit in and that can be dispiriting. So after you've made your plan, it's time for the really fun bit. Start buying seeds and plants. Lucy's work shows how important community growing spaces can be in creating a sense of belonging, something our next guest knows all about. My name's Greg Robertson, and I'm the director of Edible Estates, which is a community green space organisation based here in Edinburgh. 
Greg works closely with communities based around council estates in the city to create neighbourhood plots so that disadvantaged people can access fresh food. We've set up 11 neighbourhood gardens around Edinburgh. In some of these estates, the community centre may have been closed or operating on reduced hours. And so we've created places where people can come together. Our neighbourhood gardens are developed as little mini community centres. We put in really large, beautiful timber sheds, which we design and build ourselves. And we put in cooking facilities, small workshop facilities. So on a very small scale, they provide that community place, that space to connect. Morning. I'm Carol. The most recent garden we built is in an area called Wester Hills in the southwest of the city. This is my neighbourhood, Murrayburn Hillsland, near the Murrayburn Hillsland neighbourhood garden, where I'm off to now if you would like to come and join me. We had a variety of green spaces that we could have chosen to grow on to develop the site. We chose to take the, the, most, <laughs> the most unattractive part of the council estate, which is an area of tarmac. We dug the tarmac out and brought in fresh soil and developed the garden there. So we've literally moved from tarmac to food growing in the middle of a, of a council estate. There was nothing here to begin with, and now it's full up to the gunnels with uh, fruit and veg and we've harvested for two years. There was about a handful at the beginning, five of us. There's about 40 or 50 people now that come along to the garden. So I would say that was amazing. They're like micro allotment sites. Each householder gets their own raised bed, but just one raised bed. Over the COVID period, we've had to kind of change our methodology at that particular site. And we've been working in partnership with the local food bank. Rather than running the site with individual raised beds, we've been working as a group, growing food in all the raised beds together, all the growing spaces together. The majority, indeed, of that uh, produce has been channelled into the local food banks to support people in, in food poverty. When I found this garden, it was just heaven. I work full-time and I'm an unpaid carer and it gets rid of my stress and it's from, I've got uh, mental health issues a wee bit and I just forget about all that and I go home really fresh and happy and relaxed. It's amazing. Community growing projects like these and the many others that are uh, in Scotland and the rest of the UK are really important to grow food, but also important for the health, well-being and, dare I say, happiness of individuals and of communities. The growing of food is a great opportunity for people to come together, whether that's in the growing of the food or the coming together to cook and eat the food. It can be a great celebration of community. So that's really what we're about and we're keen to see more of that happen. And what I would like to see more of is more of these gardens all over Scotland, all over Britain, all over the UK, because I know for a fact I'm proof that it does you good. Thanks, Greg. And the voice of Carol that you heard was from a video produced by Edible Estates for COP26. We heard about Greg's amazing work through our Flourish Fund, which helps a wider range of people to connect with gardening. If you'd like to get involved with gardening projects in your local community, just search RHS Community Gardening online. You'll find links to growing groups around the UK, school projects, news, inspiration and more. 
And if you'd like to see more of Kuda's amazing edible garden, check out this month's edition of The Garden magazine. Well, that takes us to the end of this week's show. Before I go today, I have one more thing to add to your gardening to-do list. As soon as the leaves have fallen, I like to prune soft fruit to get it out of the way and sorted before I start on any tree fruit and roses in the spring. So at the moment I'm taking out raspberry canes that are either not strong enough or have already fruited. And in February I'm going to cut the autumn fruited raspberries to ground level. And I'm just shortening the growth of gooseberries and red currants and cutting out older stems of black currants. Until next time, it's goodbye from me, Guy Barter. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Crest robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Crest robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.